This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined for the weekend mailbag by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, yesterday a lot more news than we anticipated, so today we're going to kick the mailbag off without any of the news. Usually we do a little bit of the news, a little bit of the mailbag, but this time, straight up mailbag, my man. Hey, man, you know, that's what happens. You get a very big deal on your show, then sometimes the mailbag's going to get bumped. It happens. The very big deal brings very big deal news, and the mailbag has to wait an extra day, but now we are in mailbag territory, so let's get right into it. First question comes in from Michael Palace. He says, everyone is penciling in Jonathan Harrison as the starting center. What about John Toth, who the Jets signed to a futures contract, making a splash in camp and winning the job? He's an exclusive rights free agent in 2021, which means the Jets have control of him for the next three years, and he's only 25. I don't know much about what the Jets think of him internally, but I will say that if he turns some heads in camp, it's not out of the question that he could push Harrison. I would think that Harrison is the overwhelming favorite right now, especially if they don't sign somebody from the outside. But crazier things have happened. And as Michael also pointed out later on down the thread on Twitter, Harrison himself was an undrafted free agent. So you never know. Yeah, I'm just going to start with this. Jets fans are going to have to get comfortable with the idea of Jonathan Harrison as a starting center. <laughs> like, I know this is a theme over all the mailbags. Pretty much any time I hop on Twitter, people are asking about the center. I'm telling you right now, the Jets are more, way more comfortable than Jets fans are with Jonathan Harrison. Adam Gase is more comfortable with him than Jets fans are. Now, this doesn't mean he will definitely win the starting job and keep the starting job. It's entirely possible. Uh, you know, we talked about Lynn's possibility of Lindsley before. If the Packers do go with him at uh, Jenkins at center, they could make a move. They could go training camp cuts. And they could get some depth, depth there for sure to address. But chances are Jonathan Harrison is going to be the starter there. And I'll say this. Uh, Signing somebody to a futures contract is not going to make me really sit here and question whether a starter's uh, in danger of losing their starting role. If they, if they liked them that much, it wouldn't just be a futures contract. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that he can't come in and win the job. I, it's not going to be impossible. It's not going to be some monumental task for somebody to come in here and beat Jonathan Harrison. But fans should start getting comfortable with it now because I would say the likelihood is he will be your starting center at the start of the 2019 season. Yeah, like I said, I don't think that Toth is some sort of major threat to Harrison, but crazier things have happened and you never know. We've seen it before with guys like Snacks Harrison coming in and turning into a really good player as an undrafted free agent. So anything's possible. I wouldn't bet on it. But I wouldn't say that it's out of the question. Next question comes in from Tyson Roush of Let's Talk Jets, our buddy. He says, what are your thoughts on the Jets' depth at safety? Do you think there's any chance that Brandon Bryant lands a roster spot? The Jets' depth at safety is pretty much non-existent at this point, as far as I can tell. There's not much behind the two starters. And quite frankly, with Marcus May's injury history, you have to worry a little bit about what could happen if he has to miss any significant amount of time. 
I don't know exactly what they're going to do at safety, but I would imagine that they're going to be looking through camp cuts. And I'm sure that Bryant will get a chance to show what he can do in training camp and maybe make the roster. Because right now, Chris, there's really nothing going on on this team at safety beyond the two starters. <laughs> it's, it's really funny the turn we've t- taken with safeties, uh, where they went from taking Jamal Adams and Marcus May at safety back-to-back in the first and second round, and everybody making jokes about how McCagnan was just going to keep drafting safeties forever. And then we talked about how, you know, this the safety position was so deep, uh, you know, with before when they had Terrence Brooks and Doug Middleton, and then, uh, you know, but Doug Middleton's another guy, and Rontez Miles is still here, but both of them have injury histories too. So the backups to Marcus May have injury histories. Marcus May has injury concerns. Bryant is definitely somebody they got in the, the supplemental draft last year, which means that, you know, McCagnan really liked him. Obviously, new coaching staff here, so we'll have to see how they feel. But to take somebody in a supplemental draft, that may, there's something there. That's something that the team really likes when they do that. He was a very highly thought of player just – uh, you know, with his potential and everything. So it's definitely something that I'm going to keep an eye out in training camp, mini camp, and I won't be surprised at all to see him make a big stride this year and see him play himself onto the active roster. And, uh, you know, maybe is the third safety up uh, and three safety sets or to be the first uh, backup safety there. But they, they are thin at that position. And even if he comes in and plays really well, there, you could see them trying to look elsewhere to provide some more depth there because they're, they are thin there and the backup they have there have their own injury histories. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Our next question comes in from Sean Stalker, and he says, Scott and the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. Joe Blewett mentioned Michael Crabtree as a potential free agent target at wide receiver. What do you guys think? He'd be some nice depth and another boundary target for Darnold, who is good in the red zone. He's been durable and productive the last five years, and the Jets have the cap room for a competitive one-year deal. Then Joe Blewett jumped in and said, I better not hear my name slandered on this podcast. So just so you know, Chris, Joe Blewett is a New Jersey police officer, so we better not slander him because the next thing you know, the two of us will have handcuffs slapped on us. 
us, and we'll be in a squad car on our way to jail. So let's keep this clean for Joe's sake. All joking aside, though, I think Crabtree would be an interesting move if they could get him for a decent price. I wouldn't be throwing 10 to $12 million at him or anything like that. But if you could get him on a one-year, 5 or $6 million deal, he's a good red zone target, as you mentioned, and he adds an element that they don't necessarily have. So I'd be fine with it. I think it would be a good add for a one-year deal. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, Joe's gonna escape all, any type of slander here from me. Uh, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get Trab Cree slander from me uh, unless we're we're talking about a, a keep to leave punking him and snatching his chain. Uh, then then you can get it get a little slandering going on there. But I've been a Crabtree fan since college. He's obviously not the player he once was. I'm I haven't I didn't see what Joe was talking about. I've been off Twitter, but I I'm feel comfortable that Joe's not saying that he's what he used to be, but taking a, a, a chance on somebody like him at a, a cheap deal and, you know, the way that the talent that he has, the type of receiver he has, it would be a good guy to bring in if you bring him in on a cheap deal. He doesn't need to, you know, he has a good catch radius. He knows how to use his body and get away. Now, I haven't watched him very closely these last couple of years and part of the problem with him these last couple of years, he hasn't been in the, the best situations for him either. So it's hard to really gauge where he's at. But I could see him definitely being able to come in and contribute. They, they could use some more depth at receiver. I know fans were excited what the, they saw, the little brief stuff from Deontay Burnett last year and the way him and Sam Darnold have chemistry, obviously, from the college days. But, uh, yeah, I... I I'd go ahead and think that you could use some more depth behind, you know, Jamison Crowder, Quincy Nunwa, and Robbie Anderson there. They don't, Deontay Burnett is not somebody that I'd feel comfortable just saying that he's just going to build off that and just continue to be great or anything. So bringing in somebody like Crabtree at this stage makes a lot of sense to me. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Will at NotSince69. He says, Hockey analogy here. Do you guys think Adam Gase can do for Max past and current draft picks what Barry Trotz did for Garth Snow's picks and players, basically taking the same roster minus the best player and completely turning them around? On offense, maybe there are some guys that have to think about who. I guess he can make Robbie Anderson look better, although we already know that Robbie Anderson is pretty good. Maybe he can do a little bit more with Quincy Inunua. Maybe he can do something with Deontay Burnett that Jeremy Bates failed to do last year. Beyond that, I'm not really sure who it is that he's supposed to turn into a great player. Are we expecting Elijah McGuire to do much of anything? Trenton Cannon, who may not even make the roster. I'm not sure that there's anybody here that I would look at as a potential breakout candidate that wasn't already good. I think the closest would probably be Deontay Burnett, I guess, as the fourth receiver. On defense, there are plenty of candidates for that, but I would attribute anything that happens there to Craig Williams because, as we know, Chris, Adam Gase is not shy about 
letting everybody know that he's not going to have much of a hand in the defense. So any of these defensive players that take a step forward, it's mostly going to be because of the work that Greg Williams does with them and not because of anything Adam Gase does. Yeah, that's what my immediate reaction to the question was. was to start thinking, there's not that many offensive players to choose from here. Uh, that you know, Greg Williams is running this defense, like you said. Uh, Gase is not being shy about that. Gase is an offensive coordinator here who happens to have the head coaching title, and he is in charge. So, Greg, if he tells Greg something to do, then Greg's probably going to have to listen, otherwise, risk getting fired. But uh, if uh, you know. If Leonard Williams turns around and turns in an all-pro season this year, that's going to have a lot more to do with Greg Williams than it will have anything to do with Adam Gase. Uh, I'm with you. I've talked about all along how I think the best part about the Gase hire is what he can do with Robbie Anderson. I think he can do similar things, use Quincy Nunwa better. And listen, both, both Quincy and Robbie uh, had stuff to say about Jeremy Bates after he left and how they felt they weren't used to the maximum of their abilities, and they were used very differently. They both had issues there, and they were both looking forward to how Adam Gase. Uh, Deontay Burnett there, I'm with you on the running backs. I don't expect anything, especially with Le'Veon Bell here. It's not They're not going to get that much of an opportunity. The easy one to maybe try to point to would be Chris Herndon, but that that is Gase doesn't have, you know, the, isn't really known for maximizing his tight ends there. So uh, if there's anyone that's going to make a big jump there because of Adam Gase, I, I think Randy Anderson will be improved and used more ways. Same with Quincy, but it would be Deontay Burnett that would give him the, the best chance to strut his stuff and be like, look what I did. Herndon's an interesting one too, but he's sort of in the same category as Robbie Anderson where we already know he's good, so maybe he can take a little bit of a step forward, but it's not like he's some borderline roster player that Gase is going to salvage. I should also mention that I mentioned Quincy Inunua, and the question involved Mike McCagnin's draft picks. Quincy Inunua, of course, picked by John Idzik, but still, same principle there of coming in and taking guys that were already on the roster and helping to improve them. Next question, and there's two of them, so we'll start with the first one, and then we'll get to the second one. They both come in from Gus Toon. He says, if the same thing happens in Miami where there's a locker room split between Gase players and non-Gase players, should the front office step in ASAP, and what do you think should be done? This is an interesting question because I don't know that there were that many Gase players in Miami. It seemed <laughs> Albert like... Wilson and <laughs> Albert Wilson. Right. Albert Wilson, maybe Josh Sitton, and that's kind of about it. The players that you did hear about being vocal one way or the other tended to not exactly be fans of Adam Gase. So I get what you're saying, and I will ignore that part of the question because I know that that's not really what you meant. The question is more about if Gase kind of gets out of control, should the front office step in? I would be surprised if the front office hasn't already sat down with all the major players here, Gase, Greg Williams, Mike McCagnin, after all this stuff leaked out and just said, guys, we're going to put on a brave face. I know that everything isn't completely smooth, but we better work to get this together because we've got to be a united front going into the season. And I'm sure that Christopher Johnson hinted in one way or another that everybody's jobs rely on everybody else. So one person's success is everyone else's success. And I think that would filter down to the players, too. If there are enough players that would be complaining about Adam Gase, and let's hope this doesn't happen, 
I would imagine that at some point he will be talked to by somebody, whether it's Christopher Johnson, Mike McCagnan, or somebody else up the chain, maybe Brian Hemmerdinger, but somebody will say something to him, I would think, if it does get to that point. Yeah, if there's going to be uh, anything like that going in any locker room, in any sport, the front office obviously has to step in. Otherwise, what are they doing? That's that's their role. That's what they're supposed to do. So if something like that does come up and start brewing, then they absolutely have to step in. Christopher Johnson has to step in if he has to. But here's the thing. The, the, where it happened with the Dolphins last year, the Dolphins were struggling. They they had a failing season again. They were doing a lot of losing. They didn't lose as much as the Jets did last year, but they were doing losing. They weren't living up to the standards that they had, the expectations that they had. Some people thought they could be a playoff team. They thought that, and this is going to be the situation here. If they win, there's not going to be a lot of that. It'll be mostly pro gays players, and then you might have one or a couple players here and there that aren't happy with their role, think they can contribute more. But if you win, if the team's good, you're not going to have those complaints. And the few complaints that might pop up, no one's going to pay any attention to. If they lose, then that's going to start bubbling up. And that losing is going to be a problem more so than the players complaining. Uh, the teams don't, owners don't get rid of coaches because of players complaining. And they start losing and the players complain. And then they're still getting fired because of the losing. So if they, if they have a good season and they win, this, this isn't going to be an issue. If they lose, then it's going to be an issue. But it, the losing is going to be the issue. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Second question from Gus. There's growing murmur that the Jets should move to New York. If so, where? And do you think it's something that could actually happen? I guess it's possible they would have to break the agreement with the stadium, which is weird because they built it fairly recently. I would say it's fairly unlikely. If it did happen, it would probably be in Queens or somewhere in Manhattan. I personally hope it doesn't because I live 15 minutes from the stadium and I really don't want to have to drive over the bridge to get to these Jets games. I like the fact that I finally live on the other side of the bridge for these games for a change. And so if now they were to then move to New York when I finally live in New Jersey, I personally wouldn't like it. But I do think it's fairly unlikely, even though there are whispers right now. Yeah, listen, I've seen, I've heard these whispers. Uh, they seem to pop up right around the a uniform event and people kept making a big deal because they you know new york is on this they're called the new york jets they've always been called the new york jets since you know they were the new york titans before that that's just the way it goes the new york giants are still the new york giants no one thinks they're moving to new york i don't know why people have this like you remember what happened the last time when they you know, went into this stadium deal with the Giants here in New Jersey, how they were trying to look into moving into New York. It was just unfeasible. There's a logistical nightmare to do that. There's not space in, in Manhattan, really, for them to do it. The traffic, imagine the traffic 
having to deal with that. They could get the space to do it in Queens, but most of the, you know how many people would have to deal with going into Queens? We were joking about this before all there. When you're on this side of the river, Queens is another world. It's like going to another planet because it's the traffic you have to deal with. I can't imagine that they'd be willing to do that. I, the, you're limiting your potential fan base, the potential customers who can go there because you're making them go over all these bridges and deal with all this traffic. And even on a Sunday afternoon, you're still going to have to deal with city traffic. People aren't going to want to do that that much. There's more population here over on this side. I, I get that people want the Jets to have their own stadium and not be the Giants' little brother have that identity anymore, but I just can't imagine it happening. I think this is one of those pipe dreams fans are going to have to let go. It just makes too much logistical sense to stay here, too much of a logistical nightmare to go any, to go in New York. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, do you think the reported rift in the front office had implications on the Jets trying to trade up in the second round with possibly Chris Johnson nixing any potential deals because future assets would have been given up, and if he was going to move on from Mac, he wouldn't have wanted to do that? Also, if Mac does go at some point, do you think Brian Hemmerdinger would be the next GM? So let's start with the first part of this. I don't think that Chris Johnson put his foot down on anything as far as draft day trades. It sounds like the Jets tried hard to get back into the second round. They just weren't able to pull it off because they didn't have the ammo. And as far as Hemmerdinger, I know he's highly thought of in league circles, and I wouldn't say that it's out of the question. But if the power struggle between Gase and Mack gets to the point where Gase edges Mack out... I would think that it's more likely that one of Gase's guys comes in to run the front office so that the two of them could be a tandem. But then again, it's possible that Christopher Johnson thinks highly enough of Heimerdinger to say, okay, you won, Mac is out of here, but Brian Heimerdinger is going to be your guy now. So anything's possible in that scenario, but I would think that it's more likely than not that it would be somebody that Gase himself would recommend for the job. Yeah, I can't imagine that Christopher Johnson would try to squash any of those trade deals. There's just it that wouldn't make sense. He's he's not gonna stick his nose into something like that. He's not gonna sit there. If he was gonna do that, then he would have been willing to do that. He would have fired McCagnan, or you know, at the end of the season when he fired Bowles. He's not gonna stick his nose in there and tell them not to do something like that. I get the reasoning for asking the question, but I can't imagine that Christopher Johnson would do that. And then as far as uh, Heimendinger, it would, uh, like you said, it would depend on exactly how it played out. If if it's Gase winning a power struggle and McCagnan being fired, but Gase staying, then I would expect somebody to, a Gase guy, somebody that Gase felt more comfortable would come in and get that spot. But if both of them, if they just have a bad season or, you know, two bad seasons and they're both gone, then I could see Woody, uh, Christopher Johnson just completely cleaning house even. Heimendinger is very well thought of around the league and within this uh, in this building. They do really like him, I know that. But we've seen this happen before. Sometimes uh, people very highly thought of inside their own building get let go for other reasons or are part of house cleanings. Uh, so I could see it happening. I could see him possibly getting promoted. And if they were to you know, fire McCagnan at any point, I would definitely expect Heimendinger to get an interview for it. But I, I don't think that it's it's a shoe in that he would be next man up, especially the, if it's 
because of a bad season, Christopher Johnson might just want to go in a completely new direction and clean house. Next question comes in from Steve Ballou. He says, what could and should the Jets do with their remaining cap space? Well, we talked about Michael Crabtree. I think that could be an interesting signing. Morris Claiborne, to me, should be the number one name right now just because of how thin they are at cornerback. We talked about safety. They're going to have to look in that direction, too. So I would say center would be in that category as well. Those are the areas that I would look in, whether it's somebody like Wisniewski, who you can get on a low-cost deal, somebody at corner like Morris Claiborne, who you can get on a low-cost deal, Maybe Michael Crabtree. Those are the type of veterans I'd be looking to add. I wouldn't necessarily be looking to blow all of my cash for no reason. If there are players that fit the bill, then I would go out and get them like the ones that I just said. But also remember, you never know who might become available via trade or stunningly get cut. So you want to have some cap space saved just in case because it will roll over anyway. So there's no need to blow it for the sake of blowing it. But those were the type of moves that I would be looking to make. Yeah, I'm going to go in the reverse order you did, didn't get, pick up where you left off. The the part about it being able to roll over is key here. That You go in, you still have uh, picking number, uh, the cap space there. That doesn't just go away and disappear into the ether. you got to roll that over into next year, and on top of what the salary cap grows to next year, you get to add that money onto it. So it's not the worst thing in the world to have extra cap room in a season. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to try to improve your team by using some of that cap space. And as you just talked about where you like, McCagnin has talked about this a lot. He likes having flexibility in his cap in case there is some type of move that can be made. You know, we, we've been talking about a Jadavian Clowney trade. If Houston would give him up for a cheap enough draft pick, then maybe he could pull something like that and sign that deal and give him some big money. He could front load it a little bit more even because they have extra cap space. But again, if they don't, they can roll that over into next year and it'll help them out next year. But as far as using that this year, same everything you just said, you know, safety, Morris, Claiborne, uh, any type of extra depth at receiver, and then I'll just take it a little further on the offensive line. Any depth you can find on the offensive line, any depth at all, bring them all in. The, the, Brent Qualley is still here. Go ahead. Look to improve the depth here at any position on that offensive line. You can never have enough offensive line depth, so go ahead and spend money that way. Next question comes in from Jets Joe 73 my man who's going to be picking me up a Quinn and Williams jersey after cuts so that we know exactly what number he's going to wear because as you know Leonard Williams had number 65 and then ended up changing so no point in ordering a jersey until we know exactly what the number is going to be permanently but he asks do you think Jordan Jenkins is going to get 10 sacks this year? Probably not. I wouldn't put it out of the question because he had seven last year and the Jets added some key pieces, Ja'Kai Polite, Quinnen Williams, and C.J. Mosley. So I would say it's unlikely but not impossible. If I were a betting man, I would bet on something other than Jordan Jenkins getting 10 sacks in 2019, though. Yeah, I'm going to take the under on that. That feels like a safe bet. Now, it doesn't mean that he can't hit that because, like you just said, the rest of the defense has improved uh, with Greg Williams and his aggressive blitzing style of defense. I can see it happening. And Jordan Jenkins has, you know, proved a bit as a pass rusher too. 
But with Quinn and Williams up there, with Leonard Williams, you know, possibly taking another step to Jakai Polite on the other side there, I could see him getting some more sacks. But 10 seems like a high number, uh, a really high number for Jordan Jenkins, even bearing in mind that he had seven last year. That just seems like a really high number, too high of a number. I comfortably feel good uh, betting on the under there. This is a fun question from our man Ian Bartholomew, who is in Glasgow, Scotland. He says, I've noticed the very big deal Chris Nimbley uses this and that in place of etc. when he speaks. I remember Rex Ryan doing the same. Is it a regional affectation or does everyone in America do this? Every single person in America does this. Every last one of them, except... I think for Quentin Williams because he's just so giddy that he doesn't have it in him to stop talking. He just keeps going on and on and on. So he doesn't say this and that or etc. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know if it's a regional affectation. I never really even noticed it before. Chris, is this a Jersey thing that I'm unaware of? I, I, I didn't really notice that either. As you're reading it, I was like, do I do that? I, I might do that. I probably do that. Hey, listen, <laughs> if, if he says I don't do it, I probably do it because I don't really listen to myself that much. I just kind of talk and whatever comes out is what comes out. Um, the Rex point was interesting, though, because the, the one that always stuck with me with Rex was the and all that jazz. That's that's the one I love from Rex. He would always instead of saying et cetera, et cetera, he would always say and all that jazz. That that's the one I love. That that's the one that always made me the crack of a big huge smile. I don't know that it's regional. I think it's just whatever it is that you've heard other people say that you picked up on in your life. I didn't notice Chris doing that, but now every time I talk to him, I'm going to be listening for that. I'm going to so. look out for it. Yeah, I will too. I'll be like, hey, I do say that. <laughs> so thanks for noticing that, Ian. Next question comes in from the Jet Ranger. He says, if the roster stays as it is now, do you think the team should be more concerned about the offensive line or the secondary? Can we say both? Is it a tie? I would say they need help in both. Pick one. Badly. Pick one. Pick one. <laughs> okay. I will say the secondary, and the reason is because I think at least on the offensive line, you've got the starters that you're going to have barring injury. In the secondary, I think that Morris Claiborne could probably come in and start at corner, which would be an upgrade over Daryl Roberts. So I would say just slightly, I think cornerback is more of a worry than the offensive line. But man, both of them need a lot of help in the depth department. I force you to choose and you chose wrong. It's, <laughs> it's offensive line because the secondary can't get Sam Darnold killed. The secondary can be terrible and be awful, and it can be a mess, but it's not going to get Sam Darnold killed on the field. The offensive line could potentially, and it's close to both, but for that, that swings it in the offensive line's favor for me. I think the solution here would be for the Jets to hire Raylan Givens as a security guard full-time for Sam Darnold. Boom, there you go. <laughs> Always coming up with creative solutions, Chris. Yes. Next question comes in from Prepare for Disappointment. He says, even if the Jets have penciled in Jonathan Harrison to start at center and then he has a vomit emoji, will they not look to bring in legitimate competition for the job? Surely both the competitiveness and the optics will be better if he beats out a Sullivan or such in camp. 
I do agree they should bring in somebody to compete, whether it's Sullivan or whether it's somebody like Wisniewski, unless they really like Toth as the competition, maybe that's the case. That said, I do expect Harrison to beat out any of those guys, not because he's great, but because he's better than those guys. Either way, though, they do need depth. So even if Harrison is the starter, they should bring somebody in that could start if Harrison gets injured. Yeah, I'll say this again. Uh, they need to look to bring somebody in of the available people, not as competition as much as for death purposes. That's, that's as simple as that. I don't expect any of them to beat out Jonathan Harrison. Again, the Jets like him way more than the fan base does. I could still see them looking to upgrade. doesn't mean that they won't if somebody comes available all of a sudden. But Jonathan Harrison is most likely going to be the starting center, but they're going to need to bring in somebody for depth purposes either way, no matter what. Next question comes in from Will, who has the second one. He got one in before, at not since 69. He says, which top unrestricted free agent, one on each side of the ball, would you guys like to see the Jets sign still? And what are the odds of these signings happening? I think we already answered this in a way. Morris Claiborne and Michael Crabtree for me. And I think there's a pretty decent chance of Claiborne. Not sure exactly about Crabtree because I don't know what the Jets' level of interest is and I don't know what his asking price is. But I do think that Claiborne is a fairly realistic possibility. Yeah, Claiborne would be at the top of the list for me. Uh, I haven't really taken a, a you know look at the available guys uh, right now to see who else is out there. But Crabtree, we talked about him being an interesting name. Now, I wouldn't expect him to be in a rush to sign with anybody. Maybe he will wait and see if there's an injury in training camp, maybe get a little more playing time. I would think he would know that coming here, he would probably be the the fourth receiver in there. Maybe he wants a little more playing time. I have no idea how the Jets feel about him, how Adam Gaze feels about him, but that's an interesting name. And then, again, offensive line depth. Offensive line depth, I don't care who they are. Bring them in, give them a shot, see how they do. Next question comes in from G Tucker 1115 He says, Genuine concerns for wide receiver four and five with one, two, and three being unreliable because of injury histories. What are your thoughts on moving Ty Montgomery back to wide receiver? He was productive in college at Stanford, and maybe they could pick up another running back by opening day in his place. I think the better solution, honestly, would be to sign somebody like Crabtree and to try and continue to develop Deontay Burnett. I don't really like the idea of moving Ty Montgomery back to wide receiver. It's been quite a while since he's played there. I guess if an emergency pops up and they were really thin depth-wise at receiver and Bell was doing well and let's say Elijah McGuire took a step forward as far as taking carries and being productive, then maybe it's something you could try. But at the moment, I don't think enough of Elijah McGuire, and I do think that there are enough decent wide receivers, in addition to the fact that I kind of like Deontay Burnett, that that's not really a move I'd be looking to make. Yeah, this is an interesting question, because I watched a lot of time Montgomery at Stanford, and I watched him and was like, make a better running back than a receiver. And then when he got switched over to running back in Green Bay, I was like, hey, that makes all the sense in the world. And I remember talking to my friend Tyler about this because we were both uh, very much on this. And I'm not, I don't, to use him in some sets, to, you know, send him out wide, let him run some routes here and there. 
cool, no problem. I'm good with that. To, to be able to sit there and think that you'll be able to rely on him as a fourth or fifth receiver who can step up if something happens to one of the top three guys, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath on that. I, I do think he is better suited as a running back. I've thought that since college. So I, to, in a pinch, can he make some plays? Can he run some routes there? Absolutely. To count on him to play meaningful minutes and take a whole bunch of snaps over and over again as a receiver, that's asking a bit much. That's going to wrap things up for part one of the mailbag. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly. Read his work over at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.